say, I am. Okay, now turn to the one that you just awkwardly ignored and say, I am. Okay, so I want to look at Moses. I am inspired so much by the word of God because people that God uses are flawed. They've got weaknesses. They've got things that they're working through, areas that they're processing. They are not perfect people. I don't know about you, but I take such a heart in that. Like the disciple Paul, oh my gosh, I love, not Paul, Peter, sorry, Peter. I love Peter because he's one of those thinks before he speaks kind of people. I'm like, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I'll, I'll be sitting next to you in heaven, like pull up a chair because I get you. I'm right there with you. But Moses is also one of these incredible, powerful leaders. But I want to look at a couple of his responses when God challenges him to bring people into freedom. So it's Exodus chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 9. It says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so he said, I will certainly be with you. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And then he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I want to look for a few moments at three lessons we can draw from Moses in this passage right here. See, God comes to Moses in this incredible encounter. Will you bring my people into freedom? And God will come to each and every single one of our lives with a prompt, with a challenge, with a plan, with a purpose. And whether it's through the Holy Spirit gently whispering it to us, whether it's through the scripture, God has this unique way of speaking into every single one of our lives. But there's a response that's necessary. There's a response that God's waiting on. And Moses, what I love about Moses is he's really real. He's not like, yep, yeah, absolutely, where do I sign on the dotted line? His response is like, no way. You got the wrong man for the job. Like, ask anybody else, not me. And so I want to look for a few moments because I think there's a little bit of Moses in every single one of us at certain points in our life. So firstly, Moses doesn't want to go and face Pharaoh. Now I've got to admit, I can kind of see where he's coming from. At the moment when Moses comes on the scene, Pharaoh has just decided he's going to annihilate all the Hebrew boys. Right on cue, Moses' mum delivers Moses. Sometimes what we would perceive as the worst possible timing can actually be the perfect timing of God because God's got a, a plan that supersedes ours. He's got a strategy that we've got no clue about. And sometimes what we in the natural think this is the worst possible timing, it's actually a setup of heaven. You see, not only did Moses get to survive the genocide, but he is brought up right there under Pharaoh's nose. I do love the strategy of heaven. You want to kill him? you're going to be feeding his belly. Like, you're going to be putting the meals on the table and paying for it, Pharaoh. You're going to be putting him through education, Pharaoh. Who knew but your enemy? You're bringing him up right under your nose. And I love the strategy of heaven. So Moses, as we know, is brought up in the palace. But all of a sudden, Moses, with a good heart, 
heart in the right place, actions not so much. You see, Moses is passionate about justice. One day he goes out and he sees two, uh, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And so with this heart of justice, it goes into intercept. Problem was he messes it completely up and ends up killing the Egyptian. So in typical human style, he thinks if I can just hide it, maybe no one will know. And he covers over his sin. Ever, ever been there? Ever thought if I can just gloss over it, maybe no one will know? And Moses does this classic, I'll cover it up. Maybe if we just carry on like nothing's happened, nothing to see here, maybe no one will know. Problem was a few days later, he goes out and again sees this time two Hebrews fighting. So again, with this heart for justice, he goes in to intercept and they say, what? You're going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? And suddenly Moses realizes the thing he's most ashamed of, the thing he most regrets, is known about. He also knows if Pharaoh finds out, that's his neck on the line. And so Moses runs away and he spends 40 years in the wilderness. He meets his wife, works for his father-in-law. And it's at this moment that we see the burning bush. He's about, four, uh, about 80 years of age when he has the burning bush, in, bush encounter. So he spent half of his life running away from Pharaoh. And now God's like, I want you to go and face Pharaoh. Moses is like, literally, anybody else would be better for the job. Like, literally, anybody else. That's got to be better than me. I am the worst person to ask for this. I've been running away from him for the last 40 years. Are you serious? And he doesn't want to go and face Pharaoh. The truth was, it was actually by this point a different Pharaoh in power. But what Pharaoh represented was intimidation. You see, Pharaoh had supreme power in that day. No matter what he said, no matter how ridiculous it was, if Pharaoh said it, it would happen. For example, I'm going to annihilate all the Hebrew boys. Okay, Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh represented everything that intimidated Moses. The truth is you in your Monday to Friday of life might not have to ever face a Pharaoh in your life, but you will have to face something that intimidates you. And in those moments, the temptation is to shrink back because, whoa, this is too hard for me. No, 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 no. This is, this is too intimidating, God. Ask someone else. Ask, ask Bex, for goodness sake. Like, ask somebody else. Ask, ask someone who's a bit more confident than me, God. Like, no, 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 no. I, I can't do it. It's too big. It's too intimidating. Do you know what intimidates me? The fact that there's almost 50 million people trapped in slavery today. That statistic scares me, intimidates me. But in the moments where it's tempting to shrink back, because the truth is we can't fix it all, and so the temptation is to do nothing at all. I don't know if it's just been a woman or what it is, but there's something within us that if we can't fix everything, well, it's, it's well, why bother? Why should we try? And every time I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to shrink back because the number is growing increasing, God just brings a felicity right across my path. Stop for the one can do this right now. What's in your hands today? Who's in front of you today to make that impact? But the truth for Moses was he was intimidated by Moses. He didn't want to go and face him. Then when that didn't work on God, he tries excuse number two, which was, I don't want to go and face my peers. In Exodus 4, 4 verse 1, it says, but Moses protested again, but what if they won't believe me? What if they won't listen to me? What if they say the Lord has never appeared to you? I sometimes wonder if Moses had somewhat of an identity crisis. You see, here's this Hebrew boy who, instead of all his peers, was either killed or brought up in slavery. Instead, there he is in the opulence of the palace. All of his peers, 
are working long hours, not getting education, getting very little building supplies, and we're having to work in forced labor. Meanwhile, here's Moses, never breaking a sweat. He's got food that he wants, he's got education he wants, everything he needs he's got. Will the Israelites resent him because of that? Moses, the murderer, the man who's just spent half of his life running away from a moment of regret, running away from a moment of stupidity, running away from something that is deepest, darkest, most shameful sin. Will they cancel him because of that? The amount of people I meet who have got God's gifting all over them, but they hold back trapped in shame because of something that happened years ago. Let me tell you, when you bring your sin to the foot of the cross, not only is that sin dealt with, but the shame is too. The problem is people so often continue dragging whatever it is from their past into their present, and it becomes this stumbling block of, God, I can go this far and no further, because, well, back in 1982, you know I messed up. Maybe my business went into bankruptcy. Maybe I had to fight an addiction. Maybe, maybe I didn't fast quite as long as I should have. The church was doing a seven-day fast, and on day three, I went to McDonald's. <laughs> Whatever it is, sometimes there's something that we know that's lodged in our mind. It is something from the past, and we keep on bringing it into our present. Please stop. Leave the past in the past. Once it's been submitted to the cross of Jesus Christ, it is gone. The sin is gone, and the shame that is attached is done. It's gone once and for all. The work that God did on the cross was so powerful and so beautiful. Don't undermine the work of the cross by making it your present. And so Moses wonders if he's been canceled by his peers. Ever been there? wondering what people will think. God asks you to step out and you think, but what will people think? Am I the right person for the job? There's always someone far better qualified, right? Why me, God? They're far better at it than me. Ask them. And so many times we do the same thing as Moses, where we shrink back with excuses as to why we could not and should not. Moses tries this on God, and yet again, God doesn't take the excuse. He just says, I will be with you. And so Moses tries a third excuse. In Exodus 4, verse 10, See, this time, Moses doesn't want to face his own failings. So firstly, he doesn't want to face Pharaoh. Then he doesn't want to face his peers. Finally, he doesn't want to face his own failings. Exodus 4 of 10 says, But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Verse 13 continues, But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Five times Moses tries to put God off. Five times he tries to tell God no. Moses was so busy looking at his own flaws, his own limitations, his own weaknesses. The problem was his eyes was on himself. The work we do in Pakistan, it's, it's what I would call very grassroots work. So we're literally going into the brick factories, we're meeting with the families, we're bringing children out of slavery and into our safe house. We go and we do, we actually run the largest Sunday school across uh, Pakistan, going into brick factories, doing Sunday school. So the Sunday school we do isn't happening in the nice safety of a nice, neat little church. It's happening right there on a brick factory yard. And we've been doing that now since 2019, but it's very grassroots. And for every kid that's brought out and into freedom, it's incredible. 
But if I'm honest, what I see when I put my head on a pillow at night isn't the ones that we've rescued. It's the ones that are still in. It's the little kids that are sat on a pile of bricks playing patty cake with who we haven't yet seen freedom for. They're the faces I see. And I remember speaking to our staff saying, as much as it's awesome, and we were always stopped for the one, so we'll bring those kids out literally one by one, quite literally. But if we want to see long-term national change, we've got to step this up. We've got to start working with governments. We've got to start working with politicians. I remember seeing their faces just fade with colour. And they said, Becky, you don't understand. In our place, if we speak up for our faith, that in itself can get us killed. Add to that, we're speaking out against bonded labour. We know of children, there's a little boy called Iqmal Massey, who at age 12 was shot dead because he spoke out against bonded labour. And people who have spoke out against bonded labour have been killed for that. They've either disappeared or been killed. Well, we take our team and our staff very seriously. In fact, we believe they're much a part, as much a part of the one-by-one -one movement as the kids in our care. So we will never do anything to endanger our on-the-ground staff. We take that very seriously. And so we began to pray, okay, God, you're going to have to open doors that we cannot. God, would you make a way where there is no way? Maybe our team's on the ground, we need to keep a low profile. But God, what if you can do something in the West where you can open up a door? Well, we prayed the prayers. Then when God starts to do it, I don't know about you, maybe you're better Christians than me. But when God starts to do it, I then freak out. So in January this year, I was invited to go into the White House and meet with advisors to the president. I remember walking around this incredible building, like amazing. They're telling me all the history of the building as we're walking around it. And I'm surrounded by all these really, really clever people. We're talking Harvard graduates. We're talking like elite academics. I am not that. And I remember walking around thinking, wow. But in my head, I'm having this internal dialogue of what are you doing here? The same old voice that has often woven its way into my thoughts began to rise up of who do you think you are? You're from a council estate in a place called Rotherham, which is not very pleasant. It's a very working class ex-mining place. Get back in your place and pipe down. And all these insecurities began to arise. A few months later, I was invited into 10 Downing Street to meet with advisors to the prime minister. And once again, again, walking around this incredible building, such an honor to be there, but all the time I'm going around, I've got these, this internal dialogue going on of who do you think you are? You need to get back in your place from a council estate, girl, and remember who you are. And this internal dialogue of you're not capable to do this. You didn't go through Oxford. You didn't go through Cambridge. You're not capable of this. I remember actually thinking, was there an admin error? Is there another Becky Murray who's like gone through Oxford or something and is like of the elite? They meant to invite her and there was some admin mess up and someone somewhere is getting sacked for this admin mess up because now here I am. And I'm walking around and if I'm honest, all my own insecurities, all my own doubts, I'm all too aware of my own failings. They were all very prominent in my mind saying, you shouldn't be here. You need to go back to where you belong, girl, pipe down. And all of a sudden, I realized I was doing exactly the same as Moses. I'm not eloquent in speech. I come from Yorkshire. I'm like, Lord, if you wanted me to speak, wouldn't I be born in London or the South? You all sound lovely. And a northerner. I don't even sound like I went to school. I promise you I did. 
But all my own feelings, all my own insecurities and my doubts and my fears were all there telling me I could not do this. And all of a sudden I realized I was doing the exact same thing as Moses. My eyes were on me and not on the one who'd opened those doors in the first place. The very thing I'd been praying for, he did, and then I'm talking myself out of it. What? And all of a sudden I realized not only has God opened these doors, but equally the responsibility of walking into these meetings, not just as little Becky Murray from a council estate in Rotherham, but actually walking into these meetings with the honor and the responsibility of being able to speak up on behalf of those who are currently muted, the lives still trapped in slavery, the kids that we've not yet rescued. How dare I try and talk myself out of this because it's a bit too hard, it's a bit too intimidating, it's a bit too scary. How dare I? And Moses tried to do the same thing, but as we know, he finally succumbed with the help. He was like, he kind of gives in, but you know, gets my brother-in-law to help. You know, bring people along me to help because they speak better than I do, God, help me. But as we know, God, Moses, God uses Moses in a powerful way to bring people into freedom. And the truth is God wants to do the same in and through our lives. I don't know what it is that you're passionate about, but I do know there's a plan and purpose over every single life in this room. And so many times the Holy Spirit will begin to stir our hearts to whatever it is he wants us to step out in. And sometimes we're a little bit more like Moses than we'd like to admit. We don't want to face what intimidates us. We're scared of what our peers are going to think of us. And we are all too aware of our shortcomings and failings. But will we say yes? Will we step out anyway? Will we do it afraid like Janine when she was almost put on the spot for this weekend? Will we say yes anyway? I'm going to show a video in a moment. And before I do, I just want to share one last story. And it was, it was 2021. And I was sat in my office. 2020 was a brutal year. It was a brutal year for many because of COVID. And there was a whole multitude of stuff going off in our own family. It was just one of those seasons that yet again, if I could click fast forward, I absolutely would have. In fact, if I could, I would unwrite that chapter from my own story because I didn't think it belonged in my story. And it was just a painful, horrible season. And in 2021, it was clear the impacts of COVID wasn't going anywhere just yet. And it was a case of, at this moment, survival for one by one feels like success. So I'm sat in my office and I remember writing a master plan of survival and it was this. I'm not going to take on any new staff. I'm not going to launch any new projects. And I'm not going to take in any new children. I know what you're thinking. Wow, Bex, you've got a real woman of faith here but it was the truth from where we were at. Literally survival felt like success because we wanted to be wise and responsible for the kids and staff already in our care at that moment. And so I'd just written my little master plan of survival of how one by one's gonna ride out this storm. All of a sudden I get a phone call and it's from our team in Pakistan and they'd just been out in yet another brick factory. And in one of the brick factories, there was a little girl called Mercy. Mercy was three years old. Mercy had been raped, murdered, and then just left on the floor of the brick factory for people to walk past because, well, one, she's just a girl. And two, she's just a slave. My team rang me absolutely heartbroken and said, Becky, what can we do? I remember doing the classic, let me pray about it. <laughs> and I put the phone down, but 
I'm honest with you. In my heart, I said, no, not now, God. God, any other time, you know we would reach out. But right now, one by one's in a really difficult situation. God, you know any other time we would reach out, but right now I'm broken. Right now I'm hurting. Maybe when once I feel healed or whole, well, well then maybe we can reach out. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the story of the Good Samaritan came to my mind. The story you learn as a little kid in Sunday school if you're brought up in church. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus very wisely chooses two characters. He doesn't choose an atheist and he doesn't choose an agnostic. He chooses a priest and a Levite, two people who, if you ask them, would have genuinely thought they were busy with God's business. Lord, look at me, so busy with church work. Lord, look at me, I've served on the car park team. Lord, look at me, I've signed up to help on the kids' rota. Lord, look at me, aren't I a wonderful Christian? Busy, busy, busy with church work. But then when the need arose, they chose to look the other way. And all the Good Samaritan did was choose not to ignore the problem, chose not to look the other way. And as I put the phone down and said no in my heart, I realized I was the priest. I was the Levite. That in a moment, because it wasn't convenient timing, in that moment, was I choosing to look the other way? I remember saying, okay, God, okay. It was probably the most painful yes that I've ever said to God. We've said some yeah, challenges, yes, challenging yeses over the years. Yeses that have led us to the borders of Afghanistan and all kinds of crazy stuff that makes my mum want to have a heart attack. We've said some crazy yeses, but genuinely I can tell you that was the hardest yes that I've ever said to God. My weakest, most vulnerable, most broken time. I remember saying, okay, God, okay. I called my UK board and said, right, we're going to double our work in Pakistan. At that point, we had a one-story safe house, and we had 39 kids at that point. Uh, and at that point, we were also working across 24 brick factories, reaching 430-something children every week. And I rang them, and I said, okay, we're going to double our work in Pakistan. I remember one of them very wisely, I'm thankful for, for wise boards, but one of them very wisely said, do we have a budget in place for that? We will. We said yes to God in our most broken, vulnerable stage. And I have the joy of saying within a few months, literally within a few months, by Christmas of that year, God had brought in every penny that we needed in order to double the size of the safe house. <laughs> and in order to double our Sunday school, we're now reaching over 1,500 kids every week across 50 brick factories. We have, we have 85 kids living in our safe house and that's 85 kids who will never go through what mercy went through 85 kids who can put their head on a pillow at night and they're not scared of who's going to come in the room and take from them again not only is it those 85 kids it's actually 85 families because our, our work in Pakistan is helping the kids to get into full-time education so that they can get legitimate employment, so that actually they can pay off the family debt and bring the whole family into freedom. And because they've got ongoing employment, they can provide a house, they can provide a home, they've got a way to sustain their family out of slavery. So it's 85 kids, but it's actually 85 families, but it's actually 85 generations, because in Pakistan it's bonded labor, it's passed from generation to generation. Why? Because we gave our hardest yes over to God. 
I want to challenge you. Sometimes God's going to stir your heart and it's not going to be convenient. It's going to come at a time that's uncomfortable. Might even come at a time where you feel broken yourself and you're like, Lord, this is the worst possible timing. Let me encourage you, the best thing you can ever do is say yes. Firstly, if you don't know Jesus in this place, let me tell you the best yes you can ever do is yes to his salvation. But it doesn't stop there. I meet so many Christians where it's stopped there of what God's going to do for them. I want to challenge you, what are you going to do for God and for the broken? What are you going to do? Because the the continual challenges that we keep saying yes, even when it hurts, even when it's hard, even when it's not comfortable, that we give God our yes. Maybe your yes to God will be something as simple as becoming a freedom builder. Maybe your yes is saying, okay, what does the church need me to do to help show the love of Jesus Christ in my community? I don't know what yes your yes is, but I know there's a yes needed from every single one of us. You see, I started by saying I want to call this message, I am. And the truth is, there's two I ams. Well, okay, let me rephrase that. There's only one I am, and that's Jesus Christ. It's God himself. He is the I am. He's the first and only I am in terms of who he is. If you've walked into here tonight needing a savior, God says I am. If you've walked in tonight needing a healer in your body, God says, I am. If you've walked in needing a provider, needing a comforter, needing a friend, God says, I am all that you need. You will find in him tonight, the great I am. But the challenge is there's a second I am. The Bible tells us the eyes of the Lord look to and fro the earth of who can I send? Who will go? And he's not looking for the most academic person in the room, hallelujah. He's not looking for the wealthiest person in the room. He's not looking for the most influential person in the room. Do you know all he's looking for? The most available. Those who say, here I am, send me. Who's going to be my hands and feet? Who's going to love my broken? Who's going to bring my people into freedom? By the grace of God, may we all respond. Here I am. I'm going to show you a video in close and then I want to pray with you. Thank you. Hashim had moral obligations to pay for his sister's wedding. So in a moment of desperation, he took a loan to help pay for the dowry. In return, he had to go and work in a factory in his native Pakistan making bricks in the extreme heat all day, every day. Sadly, the interest rate on the loan is so high that Hashim is still paying it off 32 years later. He lives and works at the brick factory, along with his daughter, Namra, aged 10. When One by One's outreach team met Namra, they discovered she was suffering from juvenile arthritis as she had been working since the age of three. In Kenya, Silas was just nine when his mum died. Shockingly, he was living alone when our team found him, sleeping on a damp mattress and eating grass and worms to survive. Namra and Silas are just two of thousands of lives that have been impacted by one by one over the years. Both are now living in our residential facilities and receiving love, care and education. As we enter our second deck as an organisation, Our mandate remains the same, to reach, rescue and restore lives across the world 
and see an end to exploitation. To do this, we need freedom builders like you, ordinary people who join the movement, standing with us each month, pledging to play their part, joining the fight, and bringing freedom to lives like Namra and Silas. With your help, we can end exploitation. One person at a time. Become a freedom builder today. What is your yes to God tonight? What is it that the Holy Spirit's been trying to stir within your heart? What are the areas where, just like Moses, maybe we've shrunk back because it's too intimidating, we don't know what our peers will think of us, and we're all too aware of our own faults and failings? Let me encourage you tonight to fix your eyes on the I am. And when you do that, it makes it easier to say, okay, God, here I am send me. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that throughout history you've brought your people into freedom. Thank you, Father, that you brought us into freedom, that we would know the freedom from bondage of sin and slavery of sin, that we would know what it is to declare that you are the great I am in our lives. Thank you that you are our savior. You are our anchor. You are our healer. You are our provider. You are our all in all. Father, we love you so much. Jesus, thank you that you truly are the great I am. But Holy Spirit, I pray that tonight you would challenge every single one of our hearts and lives. Would you stir us so that we become irritated enough, uncomfortable enough to step out and say, okay, God, here I am, send me. Father, I pray that you would stir every heart in this place tonight, that you would raise up an army of women in Plymouth that are willing to go and be your hands and feet in this town, in this city, in this nation, that, Father, we would be willing to stand in the gap on behalf of the least, the last, and the lost. Father, would you use us for your glory as we simply say yes to all that you are poking in our heart to do, all that you are stirring in our heart to do. We say, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.